travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the pop culture. I want my MTV. I want my MTV. The lingo. 30 inches of thigh slapping, blood pumping, nuclear brain damage. And the love. Casey, could you please play Waiting for a Girl Like You? Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Can you say stuck in the 80s? Welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Steve Spears with TampaBay.com. And today, Stuck in the 80s is back with our interview with Stuart Copeland. With me, as always, the women refer to him as the king of pain. But to me, he's just <laughs> Miss Kredenko, Sean Daly. I love it. I love it. When did you write that joke? Did you write it on your cruise? Yeah. Yeah. Just uh, Spears, he's back. You're tan. You're so confident now. You're not even wearing a shirt. Look at you. You're ripped. You're tan. Where'd you go on your cruise? Uh, just the Bahamas, but I had my whole chest waxed. You see, really? You, this. you can see your reflection in it. <laughs> I look good. Yeah, I look good in your it chest. Looks like, it looks like a funhouse mirror, though. <laughs> I look good in your chest. Wow. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, I really wanted to do a podcast for the last two weeks, but Spearsy's been gone. Gallivanting. Sick. And, sick, and, too. You, sick my ass. You've been gallivanting, you've been raping, you've been pillaging, but finally you're back. Nice to be here. Just in time for Stuart Copeland. Yes, Stuart Copeland. We talked to him. We had a great talk with him. We are amped. He's crazy. Everything Stuart Copeland says is like brilliant. He, he's a twisted wordsmith and an amazing drummer. <laughs> he just got a book out. Yes. Called Strange Things Happen, right? A Life with the Police. Polo and Pygmies. Triple P. And uh, did you read it? You read it, right? It's fantastic. Every word. Every it's one word. of those weird books. Like, you know, you, we get these books every week here in the office, right? Like some, yeah. some rock star, you know, their, their, their music career is pretty much, you know, put up on the shelf. And they, they crank out one of these tell-alls. Right. And, you know, it, it, it's, there's a formula to it. You know, you're going to have some stories about how he hates so-and-so and what he did backstage. But there's something about the way Stuart writes. And you compliment him on this. And I think I mentioned it too. The idea that he just—he's a—he's a storyteller. He writes the way he plays drums. It's all rhythm and instigation. That's what I said. And immediately we formed a bond when I said that. Yeah, I think he's. Like, I was so perceptive, so perceptive at reaching the core, reaching inside and grabbing the core of Stuart Copeland, just squeezing gently <laughs> to provoke wild answers. It was, it was a virtual prostate exam. Yeah. I loved his book. I loved it. You know, when I tried to read uh, Any Way You Want It, the Neil Sean story, <laughs> and I couldn't get into it. There really is a book called Yeah, that. there is. Really? You know? um, uh, was there a special edition that came out when Arnell Panetta joined the band? <laughs> yeah. Keep the Change, the Eddie Money story. <laughs> I didn't like that. I didn't like the movie either. Yeah. But I love Strange Things Happen by, by Stuart Copeland. And where would you rank him, Mr. Spears, in terms of 80s uh, drummers? Oh, that's a good question. And maybe we'll get into that after the break. Cause I think you know what we should do after the break. You son of a bitch! Yes, you can go research. Come in here, cruise boy. Right now, no, I think what we'll do after the break is we'll come back, 
and we'll talk about our five favorite 80s drummers. Okay. And uh, Steve Smith from Journey. <laughs> no, I love His him. book was terrible, too. What was it called? Uh, Separate Ways. <laughs> I I, come on. This is our first podcast back. I'm, I'm shaking know. off the rust, baby. I know. Shake it off. So why don't we kick into the Stort uh, Copeland interview? It's really, really good. You're fantastic. You're like the, uh, a Mike Wallace on this bitch. <laughs> I don't think that's really. You don't let he tries to squirm off the hook, and you're like, "Get back on the hook, Copeland." <laughs> it's fishing time, mother. <laughs> With no further ado, here's Stewie. Hello, Stort. Hey, how you doing? Hey, this is Sean Daly, the music critic from the St. Pete Times. How are you? Yeah, very good, thanks. How you doing? I'm awesome. And joining us is Steve Spears, an editor at TampaBay.com. All right. And we are excited. We, uh, you have a brand new book out, Strange Things Happen, A Life with the Police, Polo, and Pygmies. Why, yes. I love that. Now, now, Stort, you write just like you play drums. It's all about rhythm and instigation. I think you like pissing people off. Uh, I do like pissing people off, <laughs> but with love in my heart. Family. I like rattling people's cage, and sometimes, uh, occasionally, I slip over the line just to crack, maybe. Uh. Well, in the span of like 100 words, you call Sting at one point the Flying Dutchman, the Lion of Judah, and Captain Queeg. I know you love pushing his buttons. Oh, yes. It's my lot in life. It's my job. Now, are you like you know, and he? He also rattles my cage, and if, if it weren't for each other, the police wouldn't be what it is. That's true. That's through all that aggression. Now, getting to the book, like the language, you're a fantastic writer. Oh, shucks. Thank you. And it reminds me a little bit of like uh, the, the, the rhythm you get. It's a little bit like Kerouac to me. Were you a Jack Kerouac fan at all? Um, I, I went through that phase in college, yeah. Yeah. The, um, tell me a little bit about like writing the book. Like You would sit down. Would you write for long periods of time? or? Uh, well, a lot of it was written as the adventures occurred. And then when I set about writing an actual book... Gluing it all together and coming up with a uh, you know a central theme that 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 ties everything together was an interesting um, interesting puzzle. Uh, Stuart, one of the things I really love about this book is it, it reads like I'm having dinner with you, and you're t- well. That's exactly what the working title was: was Dinner Tales. Oh, well, perfect. It never survived the marketing meeting, but that's sort of what the book is. I'm thinking it's war the- stories. It's it's a, it's technically it's an autobiography, but really it's it's war stories. I'm thinking if this music thing doesn't work out for you, you know, maybe you have a, a career on the uh, dinner circuit tail- at Rubber Chicken Dinners. Yeah, there you go. The, I've um, done a few of those. <laughs> the, um, one of my favorite stories, and I was rereading it last night, was um, your encounter at the Polo Grounds with Prince Charles. Ah, uh, yeah. Tell us about that. Well, I got to be the most patriotic American on the planet on 4th of July. I got to aggress directly upon British royalty. <laughs> And, you know, when you hear a, you know, royalty saying, oh, bloody buggering fucking hell, <laughs> it has a certain zing to it. And, and he hits your car. He hits your Range Rover. No, well, uh, he did. <clears throat> As a matter of fact, I wasn't driving the car at the time. It was my engineer, Jeff Seitz, who was driving. And um, yeah, about an hour later, I was, I was denting him. <laughs> well, that's fair business. Yeah, it was my job. In fact, he plays um, number four position, and I play number one position. So he's my he was specifically him. He was my opposite number, and it was my job to shut him down. 
<clears throat> which usually I was real good at because I had great horses, but he's got even better horses than I could ever have. So you didn't hold back with him? Not at all. Oh, <laughs> In fact, I was being protected by Secret Service agents as I'm uh, foiling his every move. There am I, you know, getting my elbow in the royal ribs. <laughs> did you guys have any words afterwards? I mean, did, did you? Yeah, he, he, he got the gag of uh, it was my American duty to beat him up that day. Hey, uh, Storm, I've always wanted to ask you about your, uh, your famously eclectic and revered drum kit, okay? You look like you have some real wild voodoo stuff hanging off that thing. What's the weirdest, strangest thing you've ever used as a percussive instrument? Uh, <clears throat> well, actually, the common or garden trash can was a big element in the Ben-Hur score that I just finished doing. Two hours of epic orchestral music for Ben Hur staged live in arenas around Europe. Um, but the main sound of it is the, the clanking sound of the of the Romans, and they didn't have snare drums in those days, so I just needed a metallic clank. And it turns out that that galvanized steel trash can just has incredible resonance and an incredible uh, vocabulary of different sounds that that instrument makes. How'd you discover that? Just taking out the trash. No, I mean, uh, uh, just things that clank, and I knew that that metal can was going to sound cool. No, it's cool. What's the Ben-Hur thing? Are they remaking Ben-Hur? Well, no, it's it's a stage production of Ben-Hur, where they, you know, it, it opened uh, uh, about a month ago, well, maybe a couple weeks ago, in uh, London at the O2 Arena, and is playing in arenas around Europe now. And uh, what they do, they take out all the seats of the floor and fill it with dirt, like a tractor pull, and they stage the entire film right there in front of God and everybody. Um, you know, the chariot race, the, the gladiators, the, the naval battle, a couple of ships come out there and, you know, uh, the, the pirates attack and everything, uh, a little bit of leprosy for uh, poignance. <laughs> the whole deal, the whole movie's right there on stage. You know, that leads me into my question about, uh, you're kind of like the master of the soundtrack, Rumblefish, the equalizer. She's having a baby. I mean, dozens and dozens more. Oh, with, with you and, like, say, a Danny Elfman and John Williams, I mean, these great masters of the soundtrack, how do you take somebody else's vision and kind of uh, adapt to that? How do you get involved in their vision? Well, that's the fun of film composing is that you're, it's a collaborative uh, experience, um, just like playing in a band, only unlike the band, the other collaborators have nothing to do with music. And so I get to do all the music myself, unlike in a band, but it's in the service of a greater mission, which is the movie. And it's brilliant work. I love it because of the variety. You know, one film is a sci-fi film, and it's all electronics and sound effects. The next film is a romantic comedy, and it's, you know, a light orchestral. The next minute it's a sleazy urban thing with hip-hop. And so film music takes you into every realm of music, and you get to play with all the toys. Um, we asked a lot of our readers when we knew we were talking to you about uh, what questions would they ask you. And the question that kept popping up the most was one of your movies that you did the work on. That's Rumblefish. Everybody is a big fan of that. And uh, uh, Stan Ridgway. I'll be on this time. Any memories of that project? Well, yeah. The main memory is Francis uh, Coppola and the uh, the latitude he gave me. He gave me enough rope to hang myself. Certainly, his his, <laughs> his the way he works is that he finds the right people and then turns them loose. Um, 
and but loose with very clear mission. You know, he explained exactly what he needed emotionally um, for the different scenes and for the overall arc of the picture. And as soon as he got that, I understood what he what he was needed emotionally. And then he just set me free, and I was able to come up with stuff. And uh, fortunately, he loved it. Uh, there are other directors, like Oliver Stone, for instance, who is right in there analyzing every bar of everything. But Francis is the uh, the other kind. Wow. So in your book, you actually write that working with you on drums requires a, quote, unreasonable tolerance for chaos. Well, yeah, the, the drummer guy is very different from the film composer right, guy. Right, yeah, you said, because in, 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 in the exact same sentence, you say a film composer is the exact opposite. I mean, do you, really, do you have that identity crisis from time to time? I mean, no, not at all. Um, but the mission of doing a film is very specific. The emotional requirements for the music in a film is very, very specific. It's happy, sad, with a little bit of, little bit of hope, a little silvery ray of humor in there, but an underlying sense of doom. <laughs> you know, and so it, and it has to be exactly that, or it doesn't work. It doesn't matter how brilliant the playing is or a uh, little clever musical invention. None of that's relevant. It's how it hits the scene. And so it's very specific, and the work that goes into it is very meticulous. Now... When I get on the drums, and you know, normally I don't get on the drums in a studio. I hire other guys to do that. But in front of an audience, that's in a completely different mission. The idea there is that I got to light up the room. I got to wake up the crowd. I got to bring down the thundering, clanging gongs of doom uh, and burn down the house. And that's a visceral, animal, uh, instinctive experience. And uh, there's quite a bit of chaos in there, and you got to deal with that if you're in a band with me. Yeah. Speaking of chaos, I loved how um, towards the end of the book you recreate the uh, blog post from Vancouver, the so-called disaster gig. Oh yes. Where you uh, just a little friendly sneak peek behind the curtain there for a few denizens of my tiny little fan site. Yeah. Well, I was one of the few denizens of your fan site that read it, and uh, and and probably one of the guilty reporters that reproduced it on my. Uh, my blog about 80s music, and I was, I was surprised how everybody picked up on that. And, uh, well, everyone turned it into this pejorative, hostile statement, which it was so far from what it really was. It was written with fondness and love in my heart, and it was a kind of a goofy peek behind the scenes. Yeah. Did, did you have to explain? I mean, you, was there sort did of I a Did I have to explain it to the rest of the band? Oh, yeah. I mean, did they understand? Did they, I mean, no. They still, really, they didn't? Well, they appreciated that it was just Stuart being Stuart. I'm kind of the noisy member of the band. <laughs> the same within that same part of the book, you you at one point say I'm the weak link in the band. Well, that's how I felt on that day. Yeah. Most other days, of course, you know, I feel that the band revolves around me. Um, but uh, in the police, it's not a comfortable environment. It's not a cozy nest. We push and prod each other, challenge each other. And uh, so, you know, you, uh, you have to leave your ego at the door pretty much because you're going to get beat up by those two motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> and, by the way, all three of us dish it out. Yeah, but you, you know, do, it's how you do. we keep each other on our, our toes. We, we're all three of us are leaning forward. It's funny, Stuart. You talk about catching these glances that Sting and Andy give each other when you... Um, well, I've mostly imagined. Yeah, but when you get uh, over-anxious, say, and you go into the chorus instead of uh, something else, you know, and like one of them gives a smirk, there's a lot of that careful detail in the book. 
Well, I want to give the reader a feeling of what it's like to be on that big stage. And there's not a lot of data in the book. There's very few numbers and specific data. But what you get is you get to ride the ride. You get to be there and experience the sensation. You know, I'm not talking about my feelings about this. I'm talking about what you're going to feel like if you were out there. Yeah, there's a great line in the book. It's just a, a real simple line, but it really struck me where you said only eight years out of your 57 total years have been in the police. You know? That's right. Very small. You know, eight pretty critical years that affected the entire other uh, part of my life. But there was only eight of them. There was only that very small period. And it affected popular culture. I mean, let's be honest, it's the police, you know, one yeah. of the most iconic rock bands ever. Does that bother you, though, that maybe that's how you're defined? I mean, the Well, no, because I'm not really defined that way in any meaningful way. Um, in my job as a film composer, I'm defined by Wall Street, Rumblefish, and the film scores that I've done, and the police has nothing to do with it. Um, you know, directors, the music's real important to them, and they don't hire a member of their favorite band because they're a fan. They hire a guy who they know is going to get it right. And whether or not I get hired is down to the film scores that I've done, not the fact that I played in the police. So in other words, professionally, I'm not defined by the police at all. And in the life that I live every day, I wake up and I walk out into the world, I'm with my friends who know me as me, and uh, my family who know me as dad. And once again, the world that I live in is completely unaffected by the police. Do you think you'd go insane if it was otherwise? If you if you came out that way, if you came out every day, well, it would it, it would be really unlikely for it to be that way because, um, you know, in Saint Petersburg, you bring up my name and you think the police, perhaps, or you know, anywhere in the world, but that's not the world that I live in. Right. I live here in my house in Brentwood and live the life that I live and. I, you know, it may be that that's what people are thinking, but I'm not in other people's minds. I'm in only in my mind, I guess. How in my mind, I'm a legend. <laughs> For so many reasons, my sensitivity. <laughs> Have you gotten any feedback from uh, Sting or Andy on the book? No, not yet. I can't imagine Sting will be reading it. I mean, he never watched my movie, The F***ing Bastard. <laughs> so I don't know if he'll be... He'll, he'll read every part about the book except where it comes to him. And the reason he didn't see my film is because he's in it, and he's completely allergic to um, reading about himself or really? looking at pictures of himself. Yeah, yeah. I, I, Strange I, phenomenon, that. I find that, I mean, I find that remarkable. <clears throat> I would think the opposite would be the case. I thought he was a vainglorious bastard. <laughs> totally God, not. Totally, totally, that's not thing at all. He has an image out there that I'm aware of because people mention, like, as you just said, but he really is not that guy that so many people think he is. He's completely the most unpompous person, the most unvain person uh, you could ever meet. He's the anti-Bono. <laughs> I mean, I find that absolutely remarkable. I mean, I mean that's the image news. people have of him is really the opposite of what he is. He's the real thing. He's all music, and he's all pain, too. I mean, he lives in his palazzos in this unbelievable, you know, the magic stingdom. But just the brain chemistry that he was born with doesn't make him a happy guy. And I think from that pain comes his great art. And he's, he lives for his music. I mean, sure, all the other stuff, you know. In fact, I have to say, you know, as his friend of 30 years, all that stuff you read about him, you know, the tantric sex, all that stuff. I just want to say, as his friend, it's all true. <laughs> 
I was gonna, I mean, in fact, that's only half of it. You know, he, he's the real deal. I mean, the, I guess the million-dollar question is you obviously have great compassion for each other as much as you call each other mother and you're angry and stuff. Well, these are terms of endearment. Exactly. I, the man I'm seeing across from now, Steve Spears, I hate his guts, <laughs> and yet I hug him at the end of the day. Yeah. But, um, the, I saw you guys in, um, in Tampa. Uh, for the, the the last tour, and uh, you know, by then any any uh, kinks real or imagined that you guys had to work out, it was a tremendous show. And, I, and I'm not just I'm not blowing smoke. Uh, I went there thinking, oh God, these uh, police songs are ingrained in my DNA. How many of them do I really need to hear again? And the answer was all of them. Because well, that's when I the great thing there, about a police show. It's the opposite of what artists do, which is come up with new stuff. The police show isn't that, you know. You go to a police show, and we promise you there are new album. There won't be a new album. It'll be the songs that you grew up with that are in your DNA. And since they're in people's DNA, they, there's an emotional response that you just can't get from a new song. And that's what makes the police show so cool for us, is that it's more like a ceremony, more like a ritual, than, you know, presenting new art in front of people. You know, when outside of the police, it's all about new arts. Things got a new album. I've written this book and Ben-Hur and other stuff. And that's what my life and main endeavors are all about. But every now and then, to just go back and perform that ceremony, pretty, pretty, pretty exciting. It begs the question, though. I mean, you know, the, the police go in this cycle. Will there be another cycle again where we'll see you all together again, either for a new album or some sort of small tour? or Probably not for a new album. Really? Uh, you know, we just, just, pain, just you know, uh, Sting writes those songs. The last person he wants in there f***ing it up is me. <laughs> and, you know, and I, go, I, I hate going into a studio to record drums. And I think the most painful version of something that I already hate is going into the studio with the police. Um, it's incredible to go out there on the stage with those two bastards who are monsters of music. That's really a charge. But to go into the studio without 80,000 people cheering us on, it's a hell pit. And I, you know, I just, you know, I got other creative endeavors that are a lot more, you know, a lot cozier and a lot easier. The police is hard. Yeah. <laughs> fans, uh, fans from my decade, the 80s, really want to know, too, will we ever see Clark Kent again? That would be a wonderful thing. I've got all kinds of musicians who want to play in the Clark Kent band, and they all they all want to play not their own instruments. You know, Eddie wants to play guitar. Uh, Les wants to play drums. You know, uh, everybody wants to play drums. Of course, they got too many drummers. But one day I should get that together. That would be the super group from hell. Yeah, it'd be like uh, the Ringo Star Ringo Star All Star Band coming around. I guess. Play. Yeah, if you do that, be great. Hey. Really appreciate your time today. Um, it's a real honor to talk to you. Well, cool. I hope you got a story, both of you. All right. Thanks, Stuart. Sure thing. All right. Bye. Take care, guys. So there you go. The great Stuart Copeland. Man, have we ever had an interview, honestly, where somebody was so clever and well-spoken? Well, except for the 10 times I had to bleep him. Yeah, that's Sorry right. about that. You already had to bleep me. Yeah. I want the I want Sir Copeland to feel comfortable. Hence my. Uh, you profanity. do what you always do during interviews. When they start cursing, you start cursing. It happens. You go back in time to like Brian Johnson. Let's go back in time. Yeah, you just do it. You get foul mouthed and. Uh, I love it when I'm like. Remember with Brian Johnson, I call myself a rock writer. Yeah. Like when you say the pop music critic, oh, like a little bubble floating in air. But I was like a rock critic with Brian Johnson. You're right. I start dropping the F bombs. I mirror anything they do. Yeah. 
That's what I do to make them. But that's how I like. I get into their worlds, and I find these majestic answers. <laughs> majestic answer. Hey, give me a majestic answer to this question. Name, right, yeah. name the top five drummers of the eighties. Uh, right off at the top of my head, yeah. Uh, uh, Neil Peart from Rush, uh, uh, Tommy Lee from Motley Crue, um, Stuart Copeland from The Police, uh, Lars Ulrich uh, from Metallica, and Carl Palmer from uh, Asia. Oh, man, don't cry. <laughs> uh, and how about uh, Phil Collins from Genesis? Yeah, it's sad. He can't play the drums anymore. What? I wrote it on my blog a couple months ago. He's got a condition with his back. Collins is a nightmare. Yeah. That guy's got bad so many Bad love, problems. bad drumming. He makes, our, bad. he makes our lives look clean and easy, doesn't <laughs> he? Phil Collins, ah. Phil Collins makes me feel better about myself. That's all that matters. So um, really, you're going to get some compliments from people. Uh, probably really. bass note, maybe no. the Blangers, maybe Latin Rascal. I'm trying to shout out all my peeps. Great. Latin Rascal. And people are going to compliment you on your job. I want to be the first one. Great yeah, interview. Whatever. Awesome job. I love you. What an ass kisser you are today. <laughs> I'm happy to be back, baby. I know. I'm like a caged animal. You let me out. <laughs> Come on out, gently. <laughs> I'm like a Tasmanian devil. You fed me after midnight, baby. <laughs> I feel so good. If we eat after midnight, what is it? <laughs> Chalupas. Hey, have you tried those? Uh, is it tacos at midnight or the new Doritos? Yeah, we talked about this on the show once. Oh, God, I got to try they so good. But do they sell them in mini bags? Because I, no, I, when I, I go so. to the grocery store, it's only the jumbo family yeah, size. And you know how I'm a dainty eater. <laughs> You know what we should do? We should have a night again at the lair. We should do a show just you... about snacks. Yeah. <laughs> it would be an award winner. <laughs> We should have another night at the lair where you come over. I haven't over. been to the lair in like three years. Yeah. I never we'll, see you anymore. We'll have the tacos at midnight taco chips, and we'll actually have tacos at midnight. We'll get the new black shell tacos from Taco Bell. No, they look so evil. I'm, as I'm getting older, can I ask you a question seriously? Yeah. We're about the same age. You're Give only or year 16 or 17 years older than I am. Yeah. But now, like, I'm like an old man. Like, if I drink soda at seven, like, if I drink a regular Coke, I, I can't get to sleep. Yeah. God, when did that happen to me? It's worse. Now you eat a hot dog and you're just like... Oh, yeah. If I eat after eight, like, tossing and turning. Yeah. I don't know when that happened. God, I'm an old man. It gets I got worse. gray in my hair. I got gray balls. <laughs> God, what happened? You know what make me feel better, though? Seggies. Seggies! Ah, the mystical refrain that is reader mailbag. And um Sorry was... about the gray balls thing, Steve. <laughs> Didn't mean to put a, I have a no, bad taste in your I have mouth. No, no. I'm flying Sam the Eagle these days. Yeah, for your cruise. So tell before we go into this we have a um an awesome letter here. Tell uh people about the cruise. Where'd you go? Just the Bahamas, real quick. Oh, just the Bahamas. <laughs> James Bond for a little quick uh Vacation, really? I did a Facebook from it. Did you see that? Were you following me along as I drank my way you have through a the Facebook Caribbean? Page? Yeah, I do. With half as many friends as yours. Because oh. you're the funny one. Oh, my God. This is, oh, that was like one. a crass. Uh, you know what? All right. So you who did you, you want with your friend, Andy? Andy. Did you bag lots of babes on the cruise ship? No, there was every, everybody was married. We were this big group. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's usually such a <laughs> deterrent. <laughs> deterrent for you. Yeah, no. tell, that's like Viagra for you, boing, <laughs> Mister Commitment Married. Phobe. Married? <laughs> yeah, there was like there was like ten women 
and two guys. But we were like their little mascots. Oh, really? Because, you know... You do, know, do you, like, make out? How about, like, a crass make-out session with somebody? Uh, no. My cousin gave me a back rub in the, in the, in the hot tub. Oh, that made no. every, That creeped out everybody. Yeah, well, your cousin sent you those weird texts, too. Yeah. Did she ever talk about me? Does she have a bad case of the Shawnees yet? Not yet. You don't want part of you don't want to be put into her crazy world. God, Not good. Enough. Yeah, I got Not problems good. of my own. Alright, well that's good. why I missed you. I'd like to go on a cruise sometime. It was, you would have loved it. There was a band, an all Asian eighties cover <laughs> band. And their yeah. name was Music Power. <laughs> Music Power. It was the lamest name. But all they did was play in this one half empty lounge the whole cruise. Asian eighties band. And um Andy got so trashed at one point that he went up to him and, and started chastising him for playing Lady in Red a beat too fast. Aww. And they're looking at him like, come on, dude. dude we're, we're music power. <laughs> yeah, you know? Really. We're playing in Michelangelo's Lounge. You know, there's five people in here, and you're going you're gonna to give us great... She'd be glad we even know the and words. so they probably loved you, and then they were like, why would you badmouth us? Yeah, supposedly they were calling for me late in the trip because they wanted me to come up and sing some Journey. Oh, that would have been great. And people were running into the disco where I was. Where is Stewed it? out of my mind. But you were coffee. off with your cousin somewhere on the yeah. Lido deck. <laughs> Lido deck. <laughs> and they're like, where's Spearsy? It's, hey, you know what? Honestly, it's... it's uh... <laughs> I was going to say a really bad uh, joke about you and your cousin, but I decided to pull back. Yeah, yeah. always a good idea. Yeah. You want to do some reader mailbag? Yes, yes. Let's get me out of trouble. We'll do some uh, reader mailbag. We actually have two letters. Short ones. Really good ones, though. I, you didn't even show me the second one. That's a great letter. Okay. That's fun. Our first one comes from Wild Chicky Mandy. That's not your cousin's name, is it? Could be. From Staunton, Virginia. And Wild Chicky Mandy says, Dear Sean and Steve, I found your awesome podcast about two months ago and have been working my way through the past episodes at work. I run the front office of an East Coast company and have been caught on multiple occasions either laughing at you guys or shouting out trivia answers. We haven't done a trivia show in a while. No, because they suck. Oh, no, they're good. There's yeah. some good stuff there. I think yours is the most entertaining podcast available. Does that make you feel a little better? The most entertaining podcast available. Now, on to my question. I've been dating a man from a non-English speaking country, and while he was raised in the 80s, he has zero knowledge of 80s pop culture. Zero what? knowledge. Impossible. Any idea on where I should start on his 80s 101 classes? And now, this is a good question, not just for the two of us, but for all our listeners as well. I'm a hardcore 80s fan. I just have no idea on where he should start. Your ideas would be greatly valued. Thanks. Wild Chicky Mandy stuck in Staunton, Virginia, and still stuck in the 80s. Wow. Someone who was raised in the 80s and yet is not a product of the 80s. Doesn't, doesn't understand 80s culture. Well, he's non-English speaking. Yeah. yeah. So, so no. not, probably not a lot of American 80s stuff. Well, That's I happen to know he's from Mandy. Turkey. He is from Turkey. Turkey? Yeah. All right. Wild okay, turkey. so give me what movie would, if you would, uh, Wild Chicky Mandy's boyfriend, if you were going to give him uh, one movie and one uh, album, let's do it. Uh, what Fast movie Times at Ridgemont High. What? You're insane if you don't think that's the right answer. That's how you would introduce Spicoli, him to me? There's video games, the fashion, you know, they're, they're wearing the Pat Benatar look. They've got the tight jeans. Early 80s. That's very Forrest early. Forrest Whitaker. Uh, what else? Great soundtrack. 
So is that also the album you give them the soundtrack? No, I don't. You know that's a, that's an underrated soundtrack. Uh, Pretty in Pink would be the soundtrack I would give them. The Pretty in Pink album. Ah, uh, you kind of took my thunder. All right, I would show them Sixteen Candles. Because yeah. I mean that's how you and I define the eighties by John Hughes. Yeah, but his movies were meant to be more timeless. All right, I would give him Sixteen Candles, and I'd give him for an album. How about Duran Duran's Rio? Yeah, or Journey Escape. But Journey Escape is pretty early 80s, and so is Fast Times at Ridgemont High. 1982. I'm going to kick myself for not later on. This is this question, while Chicky Mandy's question is going to plague me. Maybe you can present this as a uh, blog item. Yeah, sure, why not? Or something on FB or something like that. But that's a really, really good question. Where would you start? If somebody from Turkey showed up and had no idea, it was raised in the 80s, but you wanted to introduce them to the 80s, how would you start oh, that? Oh, you know another good one? Duran Duran is the ultimate 80s band, probably. Duran Duran, we have Journey. I'd um, also give them uh, Valley Girl, the movie. That's great. Whatever. Good. You're so cliche. You know What? You are just so... I, what what, 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 what should I give them? Should I give them The Last Starfighter, Sean? <gasps> You, why would you badmouth the last Starfighter? It's not eighties ish. I mean, it's but not, I didn't even say it just we're, now. We're trying to teach him something. I didn't even something. say it. You lashed we're out to at teach it. Him something. The Goonies. Goonies. I give him the Goonies. They're one of the most overrated movies ever from the eighties. Overrated. Well, how come you always think people who's rating things and your psycho mind? You, that's all you ever say is overrated. Who the f- is rating these things? Let's move on. Thank you, Wild Chicky Manny, for breaking up the show. <laughs> One and done. We come back. It's so I return our goodbye. <clears throat> Letter number two from Mikey Vizzuto. Hey, Steve and Sean. I have compiled... Oh, you're going to love this. Oh, I have shit. compiled a top five list of the best Sean Daly stories to date. I have my own list, by the way, of uh, top five Sean Daly stories, but I can't tell them <laughs> oh, yeah, on the podcast. Uh, Go on. <laughs> and these are my preferences, and there are a few popular ones that I did leave off. Here they are. Yeah. From five to one, we'll count down. Okay. The, the number five best Sean Daly story, and I, and I won't, I won't uh, take too long with this. Yes, you will. Lest I sound vainglorious and ego-driven. <coughs> you are. Go on. Number five, El Pollo Loco and the Reese's Pieces making the perfect storm. The toilet that had no water, right? In Palm Springs, I kicked the door down like T.J. Hooker. Number four is Stingray, and I don't remember what that show is from, but I imagine it's one. I, <laughs> I was new to Florida, and I, 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 I saw a Stingray in the water yeah. on the beautiful Sun Coast, the Gulf Coast, and I screamed running, Stingray, Stingray, as my man boobs were a-flopping on the beach. They're probably glistening, man. Glistening, much like yours are right now. Uh, number three is Mixture of Religion and Getting Drunk on Jägermeister. What? I, that I doesn't ring a bell. One. I don't know that one. If somebody remembers that, would you please email us? I, that, that, that's, that's number three. Number two is Does Baby Like That? Does Baby Like That? <laughs> I won't go into that anymore. And number one is Sean at the Bladder Burst. Very funny. When I was in, I was in college. I that was, peed on my roommate. Yeah, that was the... Uh, was that the drinking episode? Yeah. Drinking in the 80s. God, yeah, that's... Bladder sh- Burst is where you were locked in this bar. Yeah. Um, and you could drink for free, but you couldn't leave and you couldn't use the bathroom. And there's like, you know, hundreds of people there. Woo, this is the greatest time ever. And all of a sudden, I'm like, God, of course, I'm the first one that's got to go. Anyway, go back and listen to the story. But, that's a good um, one. I remember I couldn't breathe listening to that story. That was, <laughs> that was probably your best story. Anyway, those are Mikey's right. top five. And yeah. Mikey says, maybe someone would want a mama no. Mama no. 
Uh, but that's too obvious for me, says Mikey. I wanted the deep album cuts of daily. Great. Mikey Vizuda. That's great. Thank you, Mikey. Someone's listening to my stories. You know, when, when I'm telling my stories, Spears is usually in there like knob twiddling in the studio. <laughs> and I, I feel like I'm, I'm saying them to nobody. Oh, An yeah. audience of none. <laughs> tell, them where they can, tell them where they can send more of their delightful letters, Steve Spears. Send them to stuckinities at tampabay.com. Maybe someone can do a top five Spears moments. They all uh, involve crying. <laughs> yeah, I should do that, you big pussy. <laughs> the five best crying jags by Spears. <laughs> I love her. <laughs> <laughs> I miss you, Patrick Swayze. <laughs> You're my boy, Swayze. <laughs> oh, God. I had to retell the whole... Um, oh, God. God. Were you talking about the breakup on no, the cruise? No, 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 no. Somebody was asking me on the cruise um, about the Invisible Touch, Nummy Nummy Girl. Oh, right. How did Nummy Nummy come about? And Because um, everybody that... You say everyone's full name on the show, all your ex I don't, smitten Why, why you got to say it like that? No, it's, it's, That's a very litigious way of, of, <laughs> of saying that. And, whereas I come up with clever nicknames like Nummy Nummy Girl and Lasagna Girl. Oh, my God. That is so clever. You're like Charles <laughs> Dickens. I'm very. I'm swearing a lot today. Yeah, you're just making my job sorry, harder and sorry harder. About that. You know what? Never mind. No, where did Nummy Nummy come so, from? So no, Nummy Nummy comes from the, from that girl, and I and for some reason I ended up telling that story three times on the cruise. It was a big hit. That they love the sensitive, soft-hearted Spearsy telling the Invisible Touch story. So I bet your cousin loved it. Oh, stop it! You know, Suddenly, the wheels are in motion. How's this massage feel? <laughs> It's almost like we're not family out here in the open seas. It's almost like we can pretend to be somebody else. I go to hell. That feels so good. What's happening, hot stuff? Ah, by the sound of the gong, it must be time for mystery movie moment. Hey, it's been forever. I don't know if it's been since we've been on a show, like a month, two months. Uh, it's been a long time, and we should address that. Uh, we are sorry. That work things. You and I are super busy these yeah. days. We don't sit next to each other anymore. Uh, it really is all extremely work related, and uh, it's not personal. I, it's not personal. I was away. You were away. Uh, just kind of, it was tough. But we did give the people, the peeps, like how many great shows in a row? Yeah, and a the lot. Sna- and the snack show. <laughs> <laughs> Eight great shows in the snack show. So it was like boom, boom, boom. So, but now we're gonna come back and we're gonna, we're trying to we're gonna try to get some. Momentum going here. Yeah, we'll get some interview shows. Show. It'll be fun. So, but the point being that we have a mystery movie moment. We have named the eighties tune, and there's no way I'm going back six weeks and trying to figure out who got him right. So we will designate a uh, symbolic winner for each. Uh, okay. So uh, pay attention. Here was the last mystery movie moment. You're nuts. Oh yeah. You want to see nuts? I'll show you nuts. This is nuts, pal. That is the late, great Patrick Swayze from Grandview, USA. You know what was part of the problem, too, I think, is that we did, it was, we did a lot of sad shows. It's been a sad summer. <clears throat> it's been a sad summer. We're losing all our, um, our good 80s icons. And so I think that didn't help. We got to get back to like the zany and the crazy. The sausage hangs. Pull them out. Sausage hang time. <laughs> Kielbasa. Here, I'll put mine up on the, on the table. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> doink, doink. <laughs> sort of Vienna sausage. No, it's here. Really, it is. <laughs> Just look closer. Anyway, so we're going to come back, do some fun things, yeah. some good interviews. But yeah, man, we got hit hard. It was rough. It was rough. MJ. MJ. Sways. Husey. Husey. Um, 
So who's the symbolic winner? How about uh, Crash from Long Beach? Excellent pick. There I know go. for a fact he actually got that one right. Pay attention. Here's this week's mystery clip. Look, I'm tired of taking abuse from overprivileged nine-year-olds. I know, Z, but we can't quit now. The holidays are coming up. Okay, Daly, any guesses? Oh, yeah, that's a cute one. Cousins. Oh, nice. Ted Danson. <laughs> you know, I actually kind of dig that movie. Yeah, it was cute. It was a nice one. I bet you really like it now. Thinking, hmm, there's gotta, not, but there, aren't they? They're not. There's got to be a loophole here. Somewhere. <laughs> they're not cousins in that movie, though. Her, Ted and uh, Isabella Rossellini. They're not. Cousins. Sure, they're not cousins, Steve. <laughs> anyway, it's not cousins. Keep guessing. Go ahead. Keep going. Anyway, if you know the answer, email us at stuckinies at tempe dot com. Tune in next uh, millennium to find out if you're a wiener. Ah, the mystical refrain that is named that 80s tune. Hey, I'll play a snippet of a song from the 80s, and if you can get it right... Oh, boy, do I actually have to send out gifts anymore? Can I just say your names? Isn't that enough? I have movie posters. That's all. I'm not sending out any Funyuns. I can't vouch for them anymore. They've been sitting under my desk, mm. and I think we have, like, a rodent problem here. Oh, my, don't say that. Really? What? Because of your snacks, God damn it. They've been all the snacks that people have been sending us. So I, I don't, I don't want to send out the, the Funyuns. They could be... Uh, Infested. Jeez. Yeah, <laughs> the last thing you want is to get a box from Stuck in the A's and you open up and say, oh, a new pet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, man. No. Pay attention. Here was last week's mystery tune. That's Indigo Eyes by Peter Murphy. Sean, you've seen Peter Murphy in concert, right? Didn't you see him at Coachella? Oh, I have. <laughs> yeah, you're, <laughs> you're, you're right. So, you're so shocked. Uh, yeah, I did see him. Yeah. Bauhaus. Yeah, nice. Yeah. I think we've used Bauhaus before on this. On yeah, this I segment. think you use them all the time. Yeah, I know. Because I, I just like to hear your Coachella story. He came. It's so, it's so telling. Definitely one of my top five favorite Sean Daly stories. God, the, the hatred. Junk. The hatred. So do we have a symbolic winner? How about uh, Katie S. is the winner? Fantastic, because I actually know she got it right. Okay. Pay attention. Here's this week's mystery clip. If you know it, email us at stuckneys at tempe.com because Sean Daly is waiting to call you. Two wieners, the Steve Spears story. <laughs> please, please tell me. Ah, yes. P-P-T-M-N. P-P-T-M-N. This is a segment where we answer some reader questions. can always use some more. we got some good ones this week, though. Yes. Our first P-P-T-M-N comes from Alex Cardoso. In Mexico. Forever stuck in the 80s, Alex is. Yeah. And he asks us, gentlemen, in the movie The Breakfast Club, the boys and girls whistle a song that I think is related to the Boy Scouts. They whistle a song that I think is related to the Boy Scouts. Do you know the name of this song? I've been looking for it for years. Thank you for the help, Alex Cardoso. Steve, can you help this young man? Yeah, I think he's talking about uh, the Colonel Bogey March. The Colonel Bogey March. Yeah, that's actually the name of it. And um, a lot of people probably remember it from the movie Bridge Over the River Kwai. Yeah, I thought that's where it was from, though. Yeah, well, it's also in the Alfred Hitchcock movie The Lady Vanishes. Um, You'll also hear it in Spaceballs. (laughs) You do when the uh, Jawas are 
Oh, they're around. whistling the. That's yeah, funny. I'm pretty sure they are. So interesting. Parent trap. Parent trap. Yeah, that's right. Parent trap. It's in that too. Weird. That's yeah, cute. Yeah, my kids love that movie. It's not on the soundtrack, believe it or not. The Colonel Bogey March. But I imagine if you go on to iTunes or such and type in Colonel Bogey March, and that's Colonel uh, C O L O N E L Bogey B O G E Y. Yeah. March for Alex Cardoso. You could probably buy it. Alec Guinness does it. Remember the prisoners of war when they were marched into the prison? Alec Guinness doesn't not William Holden. William Holden's you're already awesome. in the camp. You're, you're, He's already in the camp, William Holden. You are good. This is another interesting thing about you. Your love of uh World War Two movies. World War Two. Very end when uh when Holden comes back to the camp and Alec Guinness is in there. You you and then they blow up the bridge. Sweet. Yeah. I love that movie. Love I should that. have it on DVD. Yeah. I have a lot of uh I have a like, Patton. She came over just to a whole We'll watch Victory with Sylvester Stallone. Oh, that'd, that'd be, be great. That'd be a great night. When you pass out at eight thirty, I can you sneak start out tar- the window. And we can text my cousin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how? Uh, I'm kind of intrigued. Why? What do you want to know? Is there a picture of her? Yeah, she's on Facebook. How old is she? Is she older than you or younger? She's nothing happened. Okay, just I just want to make put that out there. The hot tub. I'm drawing There's a nothing. picture of the two. There's of you like in the hot six tub. of us. There's like there was ten of us. There was like yeah, but she was rubbing your shoulders. Yeah, and that's all we could see above water. <laughs> What was going on down in the, the murky depths? <laughs> um, is she the- is six years younger than me, five years younger than me. She's younger than my sister. Here's you in the water. I'm drawing a picture. Look. <laughs> <laughs> and we won't be is. showing that one on the, vo- <laughs> on the vlog. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we have another PPTMN. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm done with my doodling. <laughs> Steve. It's like I'm holding a hoagie there or something. Steve. This is from Kevy Metal. Okay. <laughs> 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 oh man, that is. Don't boring, draw. Boring. Don't draw. All right, hair. don't like, draw any hair gotta, on the hoagie. I can't look at my artwork anymore. There's it's... no hair on the hoagie. No hair on the hoagie. This All right, this is from Kevy Metal. Kevy Metal wants to know, Steve. I'm wondering how Buffy the Vampire Slayer made it into the stuck in the '80s theme, the one you had before it was replaced by Homer Simpson. Are you a Buffy fan? Are you a Sarah Michelle fan? Sarah Michelle. It does no last name necessary. For Kevin Metal. <laughs> or was it an, the idea of one of your production staff? <laughs> intern. Intern. Come service me. Uh, just curious. Here's Kevin Metal. Can you help this young man out? <laughs> yeah, that's um, it's a complicated answer, but um, David Peterkovsky, the genius who does the opening he is credits. is a genius. Every opening credits I'm not ever sure heard. he actually exists, but if he does, he's a genius. I chat with him almost every day. And um, he has created every opening sequence that we've you've ever heard. You drew hair on the hoagie. <laughs> no, I didn't. What is that? It's your cousin. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Kevin Metal. Go, I'm sorry. Not go, I really comically correct. I don't. <laughs> I want to know. I want to know. The um, so uh, Peter Kofsky chose that. He did a IMDb search for movies that contain the phrase "stuck in the '80s," and that popped up. That is from season two of. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And yes, I actually I am a Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan, although I'm still making my way through it. Now, I, I hate to bring up a, a, a bad memory, but that was Vegas Girlfriend was a fan of uh, Buffy, right? Yeah, but so so like everybody else that I know. All right, good answer. Good answer. I mean, every, but that's how didn't she every bring like... Every female loves Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It's a, it's a chick thing. All right, maybe. So I've never say, watched it before. Know, you're not a chick. But I like that Charisma Carpenter, isn't she on Buffy, or was that Angel? Uh, she's on both. Yeah, she's hot. I like her. I think Angel she was, was in Playboy. Angel was the spinoff. But yeah, a good interview so yeah, I'm her. a fan. No, not really a fan of Michelle Geller. Um, 
Peter Kofsky himself, not much of a fan. He just found it that way. And um, we used the the Homer Simpson one, sang it every once in a while, just as a just a you know variety, spice of life, my friend. <laughs> Sorry, I'm still drawing. Let me see what it looks like now. I just I put a smile on your face. <laughs> <laughs> that is one of the best drawings I've ever seen. I will auction off. Is that this steam drawing. that you have coming off the water? <laughs> or stink? It's the sea mist. It's sea mist, <laughs> so to speak. Uh, I'm going to auction this off. Here, I'll sign it. And we'll donate it to it. the... Let me see it. There you go. <laughs> you know what? We really should give that away. Yeah, it's we really should. funny. <laughs> uh, 18 and up, though. We, can, we can't <laughs> give away to any of yeah, our younger... I mean, that's... Anyway, seal it up. Seal up the saggies. <laughs> Put the lid on this one and sink it to the briny depths. <laughs> our comeback no. show is complete. <laughs> Even Stuart Copeland stopped listening. Like oh, no, come ago. on. We're having you back. We're shaking it off, baby. We're getting back <laughs> into it. Three shows in, three shows after this. Kablamo, the one everyone talks about. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I don't know. So we'll have it. I'm happy to be back. Be Here's show. my thing. I don't want to leave. I feel like I'm surrounded by my, my stuck in the 80s family. I have you. I never see you anymore. You're like a different man. I don't even know you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Seal it up. I'm back. Come on. On behalf of myself, Get in here. Woo. Stuart Sean, Copeland, <laughs> Sean Daly, Sean friend. Daly. We got Kathy Watts back soon. Yeah, she's on. I'll vacation. be drawing more pictures. Maybe <laughs> what I'll do, and what we can start posting these, or I'll, I'll sell them for charity. Is each show I'll create some sort of amazing artwork to go with each story that's told. And this is you and your cousin in the hot tub <laughs> doing really bad things. <laughs> I wish people could see it. It's so great. Hey, in the meantime, you stay with us. We'll be right here, stuck in the 80s. Stuck in the 80s is produced by the St. Petersburg Times and TampaBay.com. Special thanks to Check Battery Daily for providing music for the credits. Read the blog at blogs.tampabay.com and remember to subscribe to the podcast at iTunes. Oh,